Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Have you guys ever been uh, experienced the displeasure of a, of a bad guide, like a bad tour guide? Anybody, yeah? I was in, um, I was in it, wasn't, it wasn't, I shouldn't say it was bad. I just, when I travel, um, I, I, which I don't get to travel often, especially, you know, overseas, um, I was in Italy just after you got married, and I was with my whole extended uh, family on my wife's side, and it was, um, it was like one of those um, vacations. I'm, gosh, this, if, if I even complain about this for a minute, though, I sound like, I, sound, I feel awful. I, like, I was given a vacation for my honeymoon from my in-laws. Like, I can't complain about this. But I'm going to do it still. Given the incredible privilege that it was to do this and incredible circumstances, everything was like locked into an incredibly tight rhythm. And I don't know about you, or especially those of you who are married, you might have like different visions of what travel looks like. My wife and I actually share the same vision for the most part. Like, let's find a beautiful little town, whether we're in like New Hampshire or in Venice. Let's just find a corner of the city and then sit there and park it for like the whole time. Anyone else like the vacation like that? Like, I don't mind seeing a couple things maybe, but definitely no pressure, definitely no serious schedule. We were like on a bus with like the guy with the headset like Adam has on back there. Like, all right, let's go, let's go. We got to see this, we got to see this, and we got to see this. And I'm like, I, this is so unrelaxing. And we snuck away at one point. And I'm like, I'm a pretty resilient like traveler I found. You know, I've got like my Google Translator app. I'm like buying bread and wine from, from the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, from the local bakery, we finally find this one town, Assisi, which is just absolutely stunning. And uh, we end up like being able to divert from the main plans. And it was like the, one of the highlights of the trip because it was the first time we were like away from the guides who were just like driving, driving. Well, recently uh, I was at a wedding um, up in the Berkshires and we, um, they booked everybody who was in this wedding. My wife n- knew um, the couple really well. And so we uh, stayed in this, like, it was like a, you know, there's like boutique hotels, if you've ever stayed in one of those, had the privilege of that, like, they're really nice. And then there's like just nice, clean hotels, just in general. And then there's like really like fine and clean motels that are cheap, but like really good. And then there's like really, like, really, really bad motels. And then there's this weird world of crossover between the we're trying to be like boutique and cool, but we're kind of like a bad motel. Anyone experienced this before? It's like we're bohemian, which is like code for like we just don't clean. Um, anyway, it wasn't quite that bad. They're doing renovations on it. And um, in the middle of the night, the lights go out and it's really hot. The power goes out and it starts to get really, really hot. And so my wife and I wake up and we are in the middle of nowhere. It feels like the middle of nowhere in the Berkshires. And it is hot. And there were two separate buildings, the building where most people stayed, and then the building where there was a sort of little, like, kind of speakeasy vibe where the front desk was, and then there were some few clearly nice rooms that were above that particular space. And I noticed it looked like there was a little light on over there, so I'm like, what is going on? I didn't know the power was, we just knew the AC had died. 
and then quickly realized, because there was enough generator light that was laying in the hallways, finally started to put the pieces together. I'm like, what's going on? I wonder if they know. This is the middle of the night. So I go over to um, uh, where the, um, the main building is. And it was because it was like pitch dark and I'm in the Berkshires and I'm fully aware, having spent a lot of time up there, like there's a strong bear population up there. So I'm like, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not wildly afraid of the dark, but you know, not a fan. I don't know how many people are like, yeah, fan of like walking around in the woods in the dark. Most people I know aren't like, aren't into that. If you're gonna like be an adventure like person, like that's even not the move. Like you're throwing yourself off a cliff. You're not like, let's just walk quietly through the woods in the middle of the night. So I decide as I start to walk over, I'm like, you know what? Even though it's only about a football like field length away, 100 yards away, I'm just gonna hop in my car. So I hop in the car and drive down the little hill over to the building with my lights on. And I notice there's a guy outside who is like kind of hunched over and there's like, like a beautiful cloud of smoke around him. <laughs> I pull up to see the little bit of light that there was from the building radiating through this beautiful cloud of smoke. And I rolled the window down and recognized that smell, what that smoke was. And he looks up at me with those red eyes and a craving for Doritos. And um, if you're not following me, just it's okay. Blessings on your, on, on everything. You're holier than I am, way to be. Um, and so he, uh, he looks up at me, just kind of glazed over. And he's like, what's up, man? I'm like, dude, the lights. He literally talked like it was out of a bad Cheech and Chong movie. And so I, I mentioned the lights are out, the power, looks like the power's out. And he's like, oh, you should know that. I think it's been out for a while, whatever. So we kind of go in and I can tell already he's like not quite fully there. It wasn't like completely out of it, but he was, you know, not dialed in. And, uh, and so we go inside and he's like, I don't know what to do. It seems like the generator's working a little more here. And he had this sense that like, we, there was still some AC units on in this building. So we're trying to get to the bottom of this. And we found out the next morning that a tree had fallen and and knocked out the power in the whole area, and there were certain buildings that had stronger generation than other, et cetera. But the point of the story was this man became then my guide to figure out what to do because he really wanted to help. And so the way he wanted to help was like, well, I, I know there's a couple rooms upstairs, and so if there's the generators on in here and there's some AC on and you guys got this wedding tomorrow, let me, let me see if I can help you out. I'm like, man, it's doing me a solid. Thank you so much. My wife can't sleep. I can't sleep. So blisteringly hot. So I follow him up the stairs, there's a little bit of light on, but he's got the fla a little flashlight too on his phone. And so we're going up the stairs. I'm following him. He's my guide. We are headed up the stairs in the dark. And he just goes, looks around the corner. He's like, I think, I think it's this room. He's got this like big thing of like janitor like style keys and the big ring. And he goes to the door and he goes to open the door. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. Like, make sure this room is nice. I'm like, this is so, like, me. This works out all the time. Like, people joke, Andrea's like, sort of the luck of the Irish. Just some, like, new beautiful suite will open up, and we'll have this for the next two days that we're here. So I'm, I'm stoked, but following my very high guide through these darkened, like, this, like, this old house, and we get to the door, and he turns the door, and he opens it, and we hear, ah! <laughs> yeah. Anyone have like a, like a, you, you like triple lock the hotel door because you're afraid of an exact situation like this. This is like your worst scenario. If you were in the room, somebody just randomly walking into your hotel room. Yes, friends, 
That's what I did. I'm so thankful that I was at least behind him that I did not cross the threshold because all I'm like is lawsuit, 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 run. Like I just turn <laughs> book it. And it's so dark. I'm like bang my knee on the stairwell going down. And he comes down and he is now paranoid. Anyone who has ever partaken in, in said smoke know that that sometimes is a side effect. And so he is like, please don't tell, please don't tell, please don't tell, please don't tell, please don't tell. And I'm just like, I've got that look on my face like, oh, I'm telling everybody. I'm coming for you. And he pled for mercy. And honestly, something within me as like a justice-minded, like cares a lot about service, like am a little too intense about that. I was like, all right, all right. And so the next morning we roll into breakfast (laughs) and he just looks at me so nervous. And I'm just like, (laughs) <laughs> like, we're good. He was a horrible guide. He was a horrible, horrible guide. To juxtapose that moment, my daughter, speaking of like darkness and guides in the dark, my, my, my sweet daughter who's down front here, she reminded me of a story the other day when she was um, downstairs at our, at our um, condo that we had over on the west side for a long time. She, she, um, would get scared of the dark and there was this window in the downstairs area and it would cast these weird shadows. And she was telling me just yesterday, she's like, dad, do you remember that time there was that shadow? And I remember my job was to be a guide for her to go down, to turn the light on, to go, no, it's just a shadow. Explain what shadows are. When I put the light back, when I turn the light back off and the shadow was still there to turn the light on and take her over to where the shadow was and to help her see and notice what was going on to turn the lights on and show that there's no monster. Any of you have kids, you've probably had to do this many times, opening the closet door and being their guide to show them what's actually going on. Guides help you see. And if there was ever a metaphor that has been used from the pages of scripture to Plato to every other pop song, it's this image of light because we wanna see. We wanna see. Friends, right now in our church family, there are folks that have some serious decisions on the horizon. Like serious decisions, like scary decisions on the horizon. And there is a cry to see. In this church family, there are those who have some sins that are pretty private that only a handful of people know that hopefully when they do come out, it will be be tough. It will be really tough for all those involved. There are those that... um, are really having a hard time trusting God with the idea that there could be a new beginning. Is, can we start again? Can we start again is the question. There are those who are resigned right now, just in conversations I'm having, this sort of a status quo. I'm done praying. I don't know what it is to pray anymore, to trust really that God's way is the best way. I was talking to just Jocelyn the other day, who works at Brown University, who is just getting her PhD and she's a number of students. And she was just mentioning how difficult it is, the anxiety, we live in this age of anxiety. And she was just highlighting how so many of her students are, are, are sort of living in this, just this, this cloud of fear because, because they don't know what it is to, to walk in the wilderness and not be able to see what's coming next and not be able to make make it through the just absolute noise of our world. This world is longing to see in an age of fake news, in an age of skewed news. We, we don't even know what to trust. We can't even trust. We feel like the fact checkers anymore. 
It's causing so many of us to just want to stay in the dark because how could we even find the light? There are no trustworthy guides. There is a longing to see. And so friends, it's at the end of a festival of the Jewish people who are under Roman occupation, who are in their own sort of wilderness, that are longing to see the truth and be led out of this cultural darkness. It is in that setting that Jesus says this phrase that we just read. I am the light of the world. We're spending a bunch of weeks here looking at these I am statements is what they're, they're, they're called. I really, really love Jesus. I really wanna become more like him. So I have found such joy and freedom and enlightenment in discovering what Jesus says about himself. What does he actually say about himself? We talked last week about how easy it is for us to project ourselves onto Jesus. But what is it to allow Jesus to speak for himself and allow his claims, however inclusive or exclusive they may sound, stand on their own and actually take him at his word? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Before we go any further, the scriptures have a lot to say about light, and I think it's important that we have a little like fly through. Here's light in the scriptures. Genesis 1, in the beginning there was darkness and God said, let there be light. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist also says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah talks about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, giving us a picture of the Jesus of the Messiah to come. John which is where we read this passage, I am the light of the world, at the very beginning of his book, he has a lot to say about light. He says, the light that began all of creation, he starts with a poem. The light that began all of creation, like in Genesis one, is actually beginning a new creation in Jesus. He says, Jesus was life and that light, that life was the light of all humankind. The true light, it says, that gives light to everyone has come into the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then on the final pages of scripture, we get a glimpse of the end. We read that this place, um, this heaven, this city that's put up there is this image of, of, of what it's gonna be like, of every tear wiped away, of every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together, of the great, like, beauty that we all long for. It says that this city will not need sun and moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives light. The nations will walk like exclusively by his light. Jesus shows up to the human story and says he is the light that we are longing for. He is the light that we are longing for. Now that sounds nice, and that preaches in a sort of just general abstract way. And maybe you're dialed in enough to the biblical story. You feel like you're biblical literate enough to start to grab all these pictures and tie them together and go, that's a good reminder. God's the light of the world. What does it mean to let a little more light in? Leonard Cohen was the one who said, right, um, uh, you know, the, the cr cracks are how the light gets in. So I acknowledge the cracks in my life and let that light of God in. It can, it can feel those sort of this abstract picture at a distance. And so I, I wanna help um, hopefully uh, us get a revelation of just how powerful this claim is, just how loving and exclusive this claim is. Now, Jesus says this phrase, I am the light of the world, just a reminder, pre-Thomas Edison, pre-electricity, 
like most of all humankind, they have not lived with the ability to flip the lights on. It's not, a, not been a thing. We take that easily for granted. In his day, and for most of human history, light confronts the darkness, shines in the darkness only one way. What's that way? Fire. Good job. You guys all with me? I know it's a little dark in here. You good? Exodus 13. This is the story. Uh, we're jumping in in the story in Exodus 13. It's been said you can't really understand the scriptures if you don't understand the Exodus story. It's like really, really difficult to get any sort of handle on what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. Yes, you can pull verses and put them on like pillows and put them on coffee cups and just sort of take them wildly out of context. But it's really tough to understand what's actually going on without understanding this epic Exodus story. We're talking Prince of Egypt. No shout out, no, no cheers for Prince of, yeah. Strong. Charlton Heston, right? I don't know what I'm talking about. After leaving Sukkot, so they have just been, these, these Hebrew people have just been delivered from Pharaoh. They were slaves in Egypt. God heard the cry of the oppressed and God, by grace alone, rescues them from Egypt. And they are beginning a journey into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. They're not where they are gonna be yet. They're not fully home. But God is with them. And after leaving Sukkot, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them and on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Fire is the consistent way God's presence appears in the scripture. So we should pay attention to it. Anybody who's, who's doing any kind of Bible study, you wanna pay attention to these patterns and rhythms. When God appeared to Moses, there was fire. When God's presence stood over the tabernacle, there was fire. When God's presence filled the temple, there was fire. When God's presence rested on the church in Acts, there were tongues of, when Elijah describes how God acts, he says that, the, that God is the God, Yahweh is the God who answers by fire. And when God led his people in the most seminal, pivotal moment in all of biblical history, when he led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the promised land, he did it by a pillar of fire. Now imagine that fire in the wilderness, light guiding them, warmth at night. It was even protection at one point in the story. It keeps Pharaoh's army actually from getting too close. God, the great light led them through the wilderness. Here's why I mentioned this story. It's because to understand Jesus's claim in John 8 that we just led, I am the light of the world. We need to understand the context of where Jesus was this word is uttered as there is a celebration called Sukkot or, or, other, or um, also called the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this feast, they would mimic the wilderness journey in Exodus. They would come together and camp in these little booths or tabernacles. They would dance and sing. Like it was a serious 
party that actually still is. They would remember the manna, God's provision. They would remember water coming from the rock with this like special water ceremony, which we've talked about before. And then there was this one part of the celebration where they would light these massive torches. Depending on the year of the festival, likely in Jesus's time, it was in the court, it's called the court of women. And there were these 75 or so foot pillars, they believe, that had these massive, massive, massive like bonfires on top of them. It was said that you, it would light up all of Jerusalem. To this day, they still light this. Here's actually a scene from New York City. A little different. But the same, same idea. It was a reminder of the God that led them through the wilderness with the pillar of fire. It was a reminder of the God that is light. The passages that are read at this part of the festival all revolve around the light coming into the darkness, bringing them home. This is the setting that Jesus walks into, this massive celebration, and he just goes, hey, the light, the big pillars thing, the guy with the head, the fire on the head is me. It's this guy. It's this guy. Which to some of us who did not grow up, unless you're here and you're Jewish, or came from a Jewish background, this may not like hit as hard as it would in that day. He's like, yeah, yeah, that, that thing that you're remembering right now, there's something whole, like new on the horizon. This is Jesus's move, by the way, that comes out in the book of John. In John 6, Jesus claims to be the bread of heaven as there's a ceremony going on about bread. In John 7, he claims to be the living water as there's this ceremony going on at the feast. And now John 8, Jesus is retelling, recapitulating the Jewish Exodus story in him. He's saying, I'm the light. I'm the way. I'm the life. Like we talked about last week, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the, you're the Messiah. He's like, yes, I'm the Messiah. I'm the key. He's saying to these people who are at this feast, people who are actively remembering in the moment that God has been faithful to lead them out of the wilderness. He's saying that he is here to lead them out of a greater darkness this darkness in their heart, the root cause of all the darkness in the world. Jesus is offering to lead them home. And this is the offer he extends to us. He's claiming to be all of humanities, not just the Hebrews. He's claiming to be their guiding light. This is freaking bold. Not one of many lights, but the light. Not like a light for you to consider. Not like a light to just be studied. Not a light to sort of like live in your head as a vague concept that sounds nice and you throw it up next to like a roomy quote and it's like, yeah, it's nice. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You don't have to believe him, but don't fall for any form of Christianity that tries to dull this down. Don't. It's bad. It's bad scholarship. And it's really not loving. Because if this is true, and this is one of many claims, an exclusive claim 
that this is where the light is, then it's the most loving claim you could possibly imagine. The point, the point is for us to follow it. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's telling us he's the light for a reason because he wants us to follow him. The invitation is to go after him, which makes sense. Like how helpful is it to have a guide that you don't wanna follow? How helpful is it to have a guide in the middle of the Berkshires who is not in his right mind stumbling through an old house? (laughs) How helpful is it to have a light to lead you through that you don't actually follow? The best conversations in my life around my own sin and ache have been somebody who is willing to look me in the face and saying, do you actually trust that he can lead you out of this? Do you actually trust his way? Because everything you're doing does not show that. The most infuriating, and I say this with all grace and love, counseling conversations I have are with people who are just like, yeah, 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 I, I, I just, basically they just, I just want you to affirm where I'm at. I, I, okay, I, I love you. I don't wanna communicate a lack of love here, but I'm like, I can see the light is here and you don't want to step into that because that is painful, because that's hard to trust, because that seems too much but I'm a Jesus follower and I know you are too. Stop resisting the light. Another simple observation here is that Jesus calls living life outside of his leading darkness. He's not condemning people to darkness. He wants to save us from it. He's saying that's where you are. You're in the darkness, you're in the wilderness. And one of the problems is we often don't know that we're already in the dark. And if you're convinced, friends, if you're convinced that you can guide yourself home, you're someone who is stumbling in the dark, unaware of which way is north. This is what the enlightenment showed us. It's right in the word. The lights have turned on and we're making these massive leaps in human thought and ingenuity. One of the bloodiest, most corrupt eras of humankind that we've ever seen, all the while while making these great technological advances. I always think, I'm gonna botch this line, I always think of Dr. King's line, we think about the enlightenment. He says something to the effect of like, we have learned how to fly these planes and bond, create nuclear power and do all this stuff, but we have not still not learned to love our neighbor. None of our enlightenment has made us any more holy, good, beautiful, or true. Jesus came to fix a problem that lies in the human heart. And it's got to start here, the light. This, by the way, is always the challenge too when we find ourselves wanting to confirm where we're at and what we're feeling. For Jesus to say, I'm the light, is to say I'm gonna come into line with how he's thinking. Very, very important preface I wanna give to this next comment, but I just felt such a weight to say this. I love therapy. Say it back to me. Andrew loves therapy. I love counseling. I don't know the full difference between counseling and therapy. I know there is one, and there's a lot of therapists in the room who can tell me after. Here's what I want to say. Some of us 
have found ourselves in the hands of therapists placing more trust in them than Jesus. And a therapist's job, even a good therapist's job, is to help you identify what's going on inside, give you some tools to help make sense of that. They're not going to tell you, usually, unless they are a Christian, to die to yourself. They're not going to tell you to lay down your wants. They're not going to tell you that happiness in this like immediate sense and a confirmation of how you're feeling and that must be right, so go ahead and do X, Y, or Z. They're not gonna tell you. Andrew loves therapy. I just don't wanna get like hit up on BuzzFeed or something like, everyone's like, this pastor's against mental health stuff. Just need to like hit that home. I have a lot of trauma with people misunderstanding things. Do you hear me? We can put too much trust in all the wrong sorts of things. It's a bold claim for Jesus to say, you might be in darkness and not know it, which means the question we must ask is, is Jesus right and will I follow him? Super basic. Is Jesus right? Is Jesus' claim true? And if so, will I follow him? When we hear bold claims like this, it's fascinating to look at our ability to just shrug it off. This is an exclusive claim. I didn't misspeak before. I'm it, I'm the true light. A claim like this, again, is so loving because it's me coming down to my firstborn and putting the nightlight on and putting it in the wall and guiding her through what a shadow is and what it's not and saying, you can trust me. Jesus says a few chapters later in John 12, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You hear his heart. I don't want anyone to stay in darkness. He's so uninterested in starting some new religion. He's simply saying, uh, I'd like to an announce that if you'd like to know the way, the truth, and the life, what it is to be fully alive and fully free in this broken, jacked up world where people make all sorts of hurting, hurting, hurting decisions around you, I want you to know that you can trust me. I'm gonna light the path. You can hear his ache, trust me. Trust me with your fear, friends. Sanctuary Church, trust me with your calling. Trust me with your temptations. And so the invitation to you and me is, will we let him be our light? Will we let him be our light? Or the way the New Testament writers say it, will we walk in the light? I'm gonna be in the light as you are in the light. I wanna shine. First John 1, 5. DC Talk reference. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. Yikes. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we're gonna have what? Fellowship with one another. Obviously, when you turn the lights on, Man, you ever been in like a, a, a really like a, a healthy, like sober house? You ever been in like a, a really like healthy AA group, man, where people are like legit, honest and real with each other? You ever met a group of friends who've been traveling together through life for decades and decades and decades? And there's like so much love and trust. They like, they're living in the light. They know each other's business and they're like there for it to carry one another and love one another and work through whatever's going on. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us. We get healed when we walk in the light. 
If we walk in the light as he is, if we don't hide, if we trust his way, then the light of heaven has this ability to help us see clearly. Verse five, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. You can walk in that and it's liberating. It's liberating. Guys, remember a couple quick things. Darkness only exists at the mercy of light. Light and dark aren't opposite forces. When people are like, like stand against the darkness, like no. Whenever light shows up, darkness has to leave. Whenever light shows up, fear has to go. Whenever we walk in his way on his illuminated path, darkness gets pushed back. Darkness can't push back against light. It can try to block light. It can hide from light. But literally darkness cannot, it is not in any realm an opposing force. Light pushes back the darkness in our hearts. In him was life and the light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has what? Not overcome it. Like, of course not, because it can't. It can't. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we find ourselves purified. If we claim to be without sin, without brokenness, without darkness, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we confess our sins, which by the way is letting the light in, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we'll make a liar out of him and his word's not in us, there's no light in us. This is what happens when you let a little light in. He's just, he'll he'll purify us. Only Jesus can bring light to the human heart that liberates us from the deep, deep tyrannies of sin and self that are destroying our world. So a simple question for us today is what pockets of darkness might be hiding in the corners of your heart? Where's the darkness? Where do you need to let a little light in? This is one of those things that light does that helps us see not only the path in front of us, but to see our own hearts, to see our own hearts. C.S. Lewis said this about light. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's strong, right? I see everything else. To say I wanna walk in the light is to begin to train yourself, to open yourself up, to see. See, yes, the brokenness in your heart, but see the beauty, see the joy, see the way to be and the way to go. What if we are invited to accept the way of Jesus, not simply as claims about truth, hear this, but as a lens, as a lens, as a means of seeing. If my faith became my eyes and my light source, my sun, what sort of reality could I live in? Would I start to see people different? Would I start to see all those difficult decisions around my finances get different? All those question marks about whether we should really like stay together. I begin to trust. I begin to trust. I begin to trust. I begin to trust. Stepping into the light is, is for real hard sometimes, especially if you got some darkness. We can all stand here at the end of this and have some response time and come forward and be like, I step into the light. 
And that's like the first step, and that's good and beautiful, and we're going to invite y'all to do that. But man, walking that out like 25 minutes after that moment, to bring things into the light, to allow like yourself to learn. One of the things I wanted to do in this sermon, I'm not going to do it, um, but I had this idea early on as I was writing it, was just to say, um, Jesus is the light of the world. This really quickly is what this means. And now let's just walk through the entire book of John. And I was just going to hit highlights. This is what Jesus teaches about anxiety. This is what Jesus, Jesus teaches about rest, about joy. What he tells us about play. What he tells us about justice. What he tells us about love. What he tells us about sacrifice. Go and learn what these things mean. You've heard it said, but I say this. Just as like a, like a preview of what we spend our whole life doing, which is exploring the beauty and light of Jesus, that it may become the lens that we see everything through. I am the light. I am the light. I will lead you. We can think about our directions as we close here. Lean to be, learn to be with me is our upward direction. How we think about discipleship. One of the ways is learning to be with Jesus. We journey upward to be with him. Learn to be with him. Learn to let him heal you is, is, is about pronouncing you are the light of the world. You illuminate the path. Allowing him to illuminate the outward path, to follow him into a life of sacrificial love. God, will you, will you illuminate and light the withward path? Teach me what it is to live in community, to trust and to forgive and to reconcile again. Church, if we're not masters of forgiveness, like first and foremost, like we got no business going around and telling people we're followers of Jesus. I know it's hard and forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing, etc. But forgiveness is central. To be a Christian is to say, I know I was forgiven. And that's hard to let that unforgiveness into the light. It's hard, that little crack there to let it come in. Because it means you're gonna have to die to yourself and it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt, but it, it's the trusting there that that's the better way to live. That there's wholeness and life and heaven on the other side of that. We have an example I wanna show in closing of, of what it is to walk in the light. And this may sound... A, uh, whatever. <laughs> I was going to say, this may sound like a little bit of a left turn, but I don't think it is. At Heart, which is our worship gathering that we had on Tuesday, um, a dear friend, uh, one of the leaders in our church, um, had an um, experience that many, many, many people have in our church. Many people have just in following the way of Jesus. And that picture, um, that, that picture um, uh, was one where um, in saying, God, will you illuminate my life and my path in the wake of the heartache that this person's going through, but also knowing that many, many others are going through? Had this image that... Um, she said, I feel like the Lord in our church is revealing past hurts. And it was that word revealing that caught me, like shining light on past hurts that are keeping his love from rooting, keeping his love from being established in our community and in hearts. And he wants to break those rocks and bring healing. It was a, 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 as somebody trying to walk in the light, she felt like she got an image from God. And she sent this voice memo to a few of us on the prayer team. And I want you to, I want you to hear it. 
I want you to hear it as, a, as a, something that God is revealing in someone's heart, an image of what it is to walk in the light, to allow God into those places. And so today we might trust that Jesus, um, just a little bit more maybe, that he is that great pillar of fire, that presence of God guiding us and teaching us, leading us, helping us see. We read in that Exodus passage, that pillar of light, pillar of fire passage that's being celebrated when Jesus announces I'm the light of the world. It says, neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. I felt like that was a word for us today. He will never leave his place in front of you. He will never leave his place in front of you. He will never leave his place in front of you. He will never leave his place in front of you. It's always there to step into. This has been the great revelation of my life. has been day by day trying to make sense. In seasons it was harder, in seasons it was easier, but trying to make sense of how to trust that that light, that presence stood right there with me. And being able to take that one step into the light. To allowing that crack to form so that the light can get in. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom or what can I fear? I, uh, I have a little pastime that I love doing, which is just inviting some folks over and putting a record on printing out some lyrics, enjoying a little food, and staying very quiet. Just listening to the album. A good friend of mine wrote this song. His name's Eric Marshall, and he wrote this song that um, I could not shake all week long. And so I'd like to invite you all over to my living room. And I'd like to put this record on. And I'd like to invite you to whatever degree you have any faith at all, any openness at all, to allow God um, to use it, to unearth, or, or I guess the analogy today, right, is to, to shine a light. Allow it to stir your affections for him. Maybe allow it to embody the the cry of your heart of what I want and I don't know how to get there. Maybe it's a prayer of trust. And my sense for I'm sure a lot of us, it's, it's letting that light into that, that corner where there's that thing that God wants to heal and make new. An exclusive claim 
like I am the light of the world, is either hot nonsense and Jesus is ridiculous and needs to not be followed, or is the most loving claim in the world. Amen? Let's listen together. In the light of your love So pure and so clear There's nothing I want And nothing to fear You told me that I Am free as a child Of nothing to fear 